Welcome to Mountain Meister. I'm Ben Shank, your host. Today on the show, we've got quite possibly our most academically accomplished Mountain Meister. We're going to drop some knowledge, some inspiration, maybe some things you've never even thought about before. And if you like stuff like this, check us out on iTunes. You can download the podcast app on your iPhone. Subscribe to our podcast in your phone. We'll get the newest episode every time it's released. Now, our guest today, a wise professor, lives in basically the middle of nowhere, and he was kind enough to join us through phone. His sound may not be as good as our other guests, but the quality of what he's saying, top-notch. Thanks for joining us today, and welcome to Mountain Meister. Who are the Mountain Meisters? Committing to the goal and galvanizing you and your team behind that one single focus. Being at peace with that fear and being okay with it. You gain a real appreciation for your life and for what you have. Learn about their extreme lives on rock, snow, and ice with your host, Ben Shank. Hey everyone, welcome to Mountain Meister. Today we welcome Bernd Heinrich to the show. Bernd is a professor, an author, and a long-distance runner, although long-distance might be a little bit of an understatement, maybe a long, 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 long-distance runner. Also, Bernd has made major contributions to the study of insect physiology and behavior, and has written 18 books, the majority of which examine physiological and behavioral adaptations of animals to their physical environment. What does this have to do with running? A lot, and that's what we're going to discuss on today's episode. Some of his other writings pertain more to his running career, including Why We Run, which was formerly known as Racing the Antelope. Burnt has set numerous records in American ultra running, including a 24-hour run where he covered 156 miles and a few hundred yards, and also a 100-mile run that he covered in 12 hours and 27 minutes, both of which were run on tracks. Yes, circular tracks. You do the math. 100 miles around a track. That's a lot of circles. Bernd, welcome to Mountain Meister. It is great to have you. Thank you, Ben. You know, what I'm learning, Bernd, more and more as life goes on, and I'm a little bit younger than you, I think around uh, 50 years younger, (laughs) uh, what I'm learning more and more is, you know, how we're raised really affects who we become later in life. So I saw that you were born in nineteen in the nineteen forties in Germany, uh, mm. which was definitely an interesting time, full of some conflict. Can mm-hmm. you identify anything during your upbringing that really has directed you to become so passionate about running or even academia? Ooh, that's a, that's a big question. <laughs> I wrote a whole book about that. It's called The Snoring Bird. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I was born in 1940, just uh, near the end of the war, and uh, our family was in Poland. Uh, it was Germany at the time, and we, uh, you know, fled to West Germany, took us a couple of months, and, and ended up in the woods. Uh, there wasn't any housing uh, available. And, uh, yeah, my father was a biologist, uh, insect biologist, and uh, he got me interested in insects right off, and, and that was my fascination. Uh, and uh, there in the forest, you know, I went to the village school, which was about a mile and a half away, and my sister and I 
you know, we did that by foot every day, so back and forth. Um, and uh, she tells me that I was always <clears throat> running the distance, trying to run, and she couldn't keep up. She was always complaining about that. I don't know why I was in a hurry to get back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I guess I just liked to run early on, and uh, my sister did not. I never did. But, you know, I, I think so environment and uh, general makeup uh, have things to do with uh, what you become. Uh, and so the environment was such that it's uh, uh, conducive to, you know, getting to move early on. And I was barefoot just about all the time except in the winter, and even then some of the time. So we didn't have shoes. and. And then we came to Maine, and I was 11 years old and was able to continue pretty much uh, uh, a lot of uh, what I'd done there. And, you know, we had friends who were outdoors people, and uh, uh, and so I was outdoors a lot and uh, was always active outside. So I was uh, not skilled very much at any one particular sport, although I did, you know, in school play, you know, I tennis and I skied cross-country and jumping and slalom and tennis and so what do you think brought you to to running specifically if you did all those other sports well i think running uh i i was just the best at that than anything else yeah. uh and so i love to run but uh, <clears throat> uh and then i ran cross country in in high school and uh i remember my senior year i think i won something like nine or ten uh races in a row uh, so, so uh, I was deemed uh, uh, worthy to go to higher education <laughs> My, because, uh, because of the running. Yeah, the principal said you you are college material. Mm. <laughs> it's okay, so my dream was to go to the University of Maine and and run on the cross country team, and that's what I did. Oh, very neat. You mentioned the how you were barefoot uh, a lot of times in your childhood, and the other day, coincidentally, I had a runner named Barefoot Ted on the show who has made himself known for his barefoot style. He does a lot of marathons and even ultra marathons in bare feet, uh, wow. and so we were talking a lot about the science behind it and basically what we concluded is you know there's nothing there's nothing official yet um but there are definitely studies being done i'm curious since you're you're a scientist yourself um we talked a lot about how if you were on your bare feet a lot when you were younger then you were more prone for having the barefoot running style work for you whereas if you're in your shoes your early life uh, mm-hmm. then, then not really so much. Do you agree with that philosophy, or do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, well, like I say, like you say, uh, I don't know about the studies, but you know, it just makes uh, logical sense. I think uh, trajectories are often determined fairly early, mm-hmm. um, and uh, but but I personally, uh, uh, you know, took the shoes pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> and. Uh, I would never consider running a uh, uh, a marathon barefoot. But, you know, I was in Africa for a year. Uh, I took a year off at the University of Maine, and uh, I know at that time um, our team, UMO, uh, kept in touch with the coach because I was going to come back, uh, and he was telling me about this guy, Mark Chukas, uh, <clears throat> a Kenyan at Cornell, and he had won, I think, the IC4As, 
running barefoot. And mm. that really impressed the hell out of me. Yeah. And, and I thought, you know, I know my feet had to be light, as light as possible. So anyway, I, I started running barefoot there. Uh, in, in Africa, I try to keep in shape, and I ran this uh, loop to this lake, and that was near Mount Meru, uh, and there were lots of uh, rhino and buffalo and lion out and elephant there. And anyway, I was... I got pretty scared on the way back because you know, I was afraid I wasn't going to make it before dark. And so I kept going instead of walking in. And I basically lost the soles of both of my feet. Uh, I couldn't even stand on them for a couple of weeks. So that was the end of my barefoot running. <laughs> <laughs> it needs preparation. Yeah, well, if you have to keep doing it, we talk about survival of the fittest. If you had yeah. to live among the, the lions and tigers yeah, well, and bears, your feet would probably adapt, right? Well, they definitely do survive. Mm. They definitely do physiologically adapt. Uh, you know, you, you get calluses. And, mm. uh, and so, you know, before that, uh, like I said, when we came to Maine, I was still going barefoot. Uh, and everybody was kind of amazed seeing this kid going around barefoot and they all were wearing shoes. To me, it was totally natural. But, uh, you know, in the wintertime, you uh, have to wear shoes. And uh, that's what I did. And, and I stuck to them. You know, on the track, uh, you know, we wear spikes, uh, you know, for good grip. And, and to me, you know, small spikes felt really great. I mean, there's no slippage. And, and you can you can pound your feet down and get lots of power. So I can't imagine getting enough power out of the foot, you know, just barefoot because, you know, you have to uh, put a lot of pressure on there. And uh, I know I would be kind of holding back, I think. Interesting. You did run into some injuries from what I read earlier on in your career. And there wasn't nearly as much research out there as far as nutrition goes or anything like that. I read that you experimented with different kinds of nutrition, drinking honey, olive oil, and occasionally beer during your races. Now, normally I have no trouble consuming all three of those things, but especially the latter. But when I know I have to run many, 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 many miles, beer is probably the last thing that I want to drink. So I guess what was the problem that you were experiencing and how did you kind of go about solving it? Well, uh... You know, as an animal physiologist, I realized, you know, I was doing a lot of energetic stuff on, on insects, and I know a lot of the long-distance flyers, uh, anything that, that doesn't have a chance to eat, you know, has to rely on fat metabolism. But on the other hand, bees go on, on strictly carbohydrate for, for fast flight, and uh, but they have to then fuel up uh, fairly often. Fat is the most economic uh, fuel weight-wise, so anyway, uh, I just wanted to bracket uh, something about diet, and I figure, you know, everyone's different physiologically a little bit. So I was just, you know, trying to test the limits and uh, and uh, to find, okay, this is not going to work, this is not going to work, and this feels better. So you talk about consuming a carbohydrate versus fat and how fat is probably more efficient. Is that what you found worked during the race, and how long does it take for that to kick in? Well, my theory was that at least with most insects, uh, when they take off, uh, they will start out with carbohydrate metabolism, and then as they keep going, they switch over mm. to fat. And I think the same uh, applies to to just about any animal. Um, and uh, I think uh, carbohydrate is a preferred fuel for fast energy. So my 
strategy for really long distance. You're talking about, you know, beyond the marathon, several marathons in succession, let's say 100 miles. Uh, there's no way, you know, you can calculate how much energy you're using up. You, your liver and muscles do not have anywhere near the amount of fuel for that. Yeah. So they've got to get fuel someplace else. So I figured, you know, that's kind of a limiting factor in, in the endurance is, is fuel. So I decided, you know, I just, I didn't read about this for humans, uh, exercise physiology. I didn't know anything about it, but I was just kind of extrapolating what I thought was reasonable. And it seemed to me I should, uh, first of all, train my body to burn fat. And secondly, it's going to burn carbohydrate anyways, whenever it can. So, um, so then to, to have an intake of, of carbohydrate during the run. So I would, I would, you know, eat stuff on the run and and people still do this the ultra marathoners that i've talked to mm-hmm. eating is incredibly important especially at the beginning of the race guys say that they'll just eat almost as much as they can which sounds yeah. absolutely miserable to me i haven't done any yeah. ultra marathons yeah. but i mean just stuffing your face right before you go run seems miserable but i guess that's kind of what you have to do yeah exactly mm-hmm. i mean a lot of uh, you know the middle distance runners or sprinters they wouldn't think of putting food in the stomach, and they are totally correct. They probably should not, because then it means you have blood flow going to the stomach, and you want to go to the legs instead. But, you know, you have to have a compromise. You're going to have to uh, be recruiting fuel, and uh, and so you have to train your stomach. So when I was training, I, I would uh, train uh, eating on the run. That's what I did. Mm-hmm. Just on the topic of experimentation in general, I think that's so interesting and the importance of gathering feedback. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you also hear this oh, maybe a contradicting philosophy of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So is there is there a balance? Can they coexist? I'm curious what you think of that. Well, what is broke? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not sure, you know. Uh, uh, the thing is, maybe somebody who runs a 2.30 marathon does not want to fix it. So that is, you know, the best that's possible for me, and, and so I don't want to do anything different. But maybe I would say, well, what I really want to do is 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 make it to the Olympic trials, and I'm going to have to run <laughs> at 2.20. So I'm going to have to fix something, uh, or, you know, at least going to have to gamble. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not going to make it. So I have to gamble. So I have to try something different. I guess you have to evaluate where you are yeah. and where you want to be. Yeah, it's a matter of, uh, of, uh, of accurate evaluation of uh, what the potential is. But then isn't, con- but isn't the potential sometimes very difficult to identify? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Extremely difficult to identify. And, uh, you know, that, that's where the art comes in. Yeah, yeah. And then, Bernd, I read that you live in, well, in my opinion, it's in the middle of nowhere. It's in Maine, although you are on the East Coast, which is great. I'm just a couple of states down from you. And you live in this cabin in the middle of nowhere. So I'm figuring that you're you're definitely an explorer. You love to run around, run around these long trails and explore the countryside. But I noticed that all of your records are on track, on an actual track. And I know you have a little bit of a track background, but it just seemed odd to be running in circles for hundreds of miles. Why are your records on track? Well, trail record doesn't mean anything to me. You know, every trail is different. And it's not really a record uh, except for that trail 
well, maybe that race, uh, you know. So I wanted uh, something that would last, and uh, uh, and and if I want to run, I, I don't uh, just for the sake of running. I, I would never do it on the track, so I don't have to go in the race. So if I went for a race, I wanted I went there to see how fast I could possibly run. I didn't even think of that for some reason, but it makes so much sense. And also, given your science background, it makes so much sense because you eliminate, I guess, the variability of mm-hmm. conditions in the record. So I guess the only other way is at different altitudes. Where where in the United States did you break mm-hmm. the track record? Uh, <clears throat> pretty much. Exactly, sea level. Sea level, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting, yeah. Well, no, I mean, if I was going for a race like that, you would want to get as close to yeah. sea level as possible, right? I, I never, it, actually, that never occurred to me. It never crossed my mind. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, come to think of it, uh, uh, it's pretty much sea level here, yeah. I mean, uh, the, the, the 24-hour was in Brunswick, which is right on the coast. Mm-hmm. But I never thought about it. There, there isn't anything to choose from, really, that I... Uh, you know, but there wouldn't be any reason for me to choose the high, of course. So mm-hmm. I wasn't thinking about that. You know, I went to the Chicago race, the 100K there, for the reason that it was a level course. Mm-hmm. It was not hilly. Uh, you know, I didn't want to be running uphills and coasting down. Uh, you know, I wanted uh, a level course. And there was assurance that it was not downhill because in that case, the record wouldn't count. It had to be level. It had to be uh, standard. What do you, I mean, running around a track for 150 miles mm. is awful. I mean, uh, what, do you, mm. what do you think about while you're doing this? Well, I, uh, I only finished one. <laughs> and, and I cannot remember too much about what I thought about. Huh. But uh, I know I went into it. Actually, I wanted to run. Uh, 100k, I think it was on the track. Uh, I was not planning on the 24-hour. Wow! But it turned out to be a very hot day, and so I realized there's no way I could get 100 uh, mile record because uh, heat will inevitably slow you down. And uh, so, uh, but then I figured, well, it, it was actually a, t- a 24-hour run, so I was going to, you know, drop out after 100 miles. But then. Uh, then I realized, well, uh, it's going to be cool at night, so I can catch up. Uh, so, uh, um, so that's that's why I, in, in, in the last moment, really, I, I switched over to uh, th- that morning before I started the race. I said, okay, instead of the hundred miles, I'm going to go to the twenty-four hour. Huh. What do I what do I think about? Well, th- during the race itself, uh, you know, so this kind of came as a kind of surprise to me. I hadn't planned on doing it. Uh, but then I didn't really have too much time to think about not doing it. <laughs> and, uh, and so, uh, uh, you know, I was amazed how, how, how the time actually went. And, uh, maybe I just blanked out. I don't know. I remember in the night just thinking uh, about how nice it would be to see daylight again. Uh, <laughs> things like that. You think of pleasant thoughts to kind of distract yourself. I know that's what I did on the, 100k in Chicago because I also had uh, you know Cat Stevens song in mind that I was kind of going through my mind uh, something about <laughs> you've been traveling a long ways on this traveling ground uh, and, and I was trying to 
distract myself by singing it to myself, but I do remember I found out I totally uh, I totally was unable to do it. It just kind of blanked out on me, and and I was thinking about you know just images, uh, pleasant images in the woods and so on. But you know I I wrote about that in in my book uh, Why We Run. You know it's interesting. I've I've been getting really into running lately. I'm training for the New York City Marathon coming up in November, and for my whole life I've seen running as more of a chore or something just to get in shape. But more recently, especially when I started this podcast, I have so much to think about, mm-hmm. and running has been really therapeutic. It helps exactly, clear my yeah. head. It gives me time to think, and I'm sure you have a ton to think about with your research. Oh yeah, a lot of yeah. Actually, I get a lot of good ideas while I'm running. It's usually like, you know, like taking a barrel full of marbles, and and you're always picking at the top ones, and suddenly you shake everything up, and some of the bottom ones come up, and you make some new connections, and so it's kind of a contemplative activity for me. It's kind of like a yoga, maybe. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, you know, I have thought about you know putting on headphones, but I, I just don't like to be encumbered. Carrying anything, the, the less I carry, I, mean, I don't want to have anything hanging on me. In fact, I don't even like to wear a shirt if I can possibly go without. So I, I either b- blank out or I think about things uh, that, that have been uh, on my mind, and, and that's usually my mind stuff I do in the morning when my head is still fresh um, after the sleep. And uh, then when I run in the afternoon, that's when I can recall some of that and it comes back up yeah yeah interesting and i I just recently heard this really interesting study that looked at how people perform physically when they are mentally tired Mm. Um, and normally people think about it the other way around i think and you know like they're so tired they had a really long day and they just can't think but this study was the other way around. You know, you've been doing mentally exhausting work all day, and then you do a physical activity. And they found that people actually physically underperform by, I think, twenty five percent when they would exercise when they were mentally yeah. awake versus mentally tired. Yeah, I, I, I really think, uh, you know, I, I think I could have done better in in college if I hadn't been so mentally stressed. I was, you know, it was extremely challenging. Uh, for me because I didn't have very good preparation and I went to a very poor high school and didn't learn anything. And yeah, I I, uh, <clears throat> uh, I I also feel the same way. If I'm really mentally tired, I, I can't physically perform either. I'm going to go through a quick set of rapid-fire questions for you, Bernd, and your answers can be rapid, but they don't need to be. So if there is okay. one place that every passionate runner needs to run in this world, where do you think that would be? Well, I think, this, at least for me, the attractive thing about running it is it's in anywhere. You know, that, that's one of the reasons why I like it. It's, can, it's not place-bound. And I don't, I definitely do not have any specific place where in the world where I want to run. It's just, uh, you know, I run right here, and, and I like to kind of run the same places. Uh, but, you know, if I travel, uh, I use it to explore. I don't think there is uh, any place where a passionate uh, runner needs to go. <laughs> What keeps you going as far as the endurance? Is there anything, any strategies that keep you going on these long endurance races, uh, mental strategies or physical strategies? Well, I think it's mostly what keeps me going is to have a goal. If I don't have a goal, I don't go. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, uh, because otherwise it's it's just for the enjoyment. And, you know, if you have to really, really work to keep going, it it 
um, you know, you, you've got to have a goal. And uh, my academic career has been mostly, you know, research has been a big part of it. I'm a biologist, and uh, you know, I do research and and, uh, and and try to solve puzzles of you know how a moth regulates its body temperature and and how a bee learns to fly to different flowers, etc., and how that all fits together. Uh, so, you know, I have a dream of, of, of trying to figure this out. So that's, that's sort of the finish line. And you have to go, you know, by, by small steps, uh, by specific steps that have to be done in, in, a, in a specific order and keeping that goal in mind. And, you know, that's basically the same thing as running. You know, you, you, you're not going to uh, finish a race until you take one step at a time. Bernd, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, for our listeners, you can find out more at our website, mtnmeister.com. We'll have a whole uh, Meister profile page of you, Bernd, with all the resources that we discussed today. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been great. Thank you very much, Ben. Pleasure. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning into that episode with Bernd Heinrich. I hope you learned something on today's episode, and I hope you learned something on every single one of our episodes. I know I do. Here's another piece of knowledge for you. We are doing a Smith Chromapop sunglasses giveaway. These are over $200 value. They can be yours for free, which seems like a pretty decent deal if you ask me. Go to our website. It's right under the Meister Deals section. You can learn how to win those. Also, you heard me in this episode mention the New York City Marathon. For those of you who are loyal Meister fans, I'm probably starting to sound like a broken record, but I don't care. For those of you who are new to the show, I'm running the New York City Marathon on November 2nd. I'm raising money for charity, and I am oh, 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 so close to my goal, and I need your help raising money. The link to donate is on our website. It takes 60 seconds. You can win some great prizes, including Jansport multi-day packs, for top donators and also one randomly given away. Whatever you're comfortable with, $5, $15, $500, $5,000, $500,000, whatever suits you, it is the thought that counts. Thanks for listening to Mountain Meister and enjoy doing the rest of whatever you do while you listen to this show.